2: Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. Welcome to Star Talk Radio. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your host. I'm an astrophysicist and director of New York City's Hayden Planetarium at the American Museum of Natural History. Today, we'll be listening to my interview with Seth Meyers, former Weekend Update anchor for Saturday Night Live and host of NBC's Late Night with Seth Meyers. He's also hosting this year's Emmy Awards ceremony. In this first interview clip, we start with the basics, where he grew up, his experience in school, and whether he has any interest in science.
3: I was an inside child. I don't know what that means. I didn't like going outside as much, so I liked doing things that were inside. You were an I was inside a reader. Child. I liked reading a lot. So that's like than... people have an inside voice and an yes. outside voice, you were an inside child. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in southern New Hampshire. Really? Yeah. Okay. Live free or die? L-F-O-D, as oh. we say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. For me, it's like sitting in an air-conditioned room, reading in the summer, it seems to be like you're beating the system. Like it's not <laughs> hot or sticky, it's just very comfortable. <laughs> So, yeah, you know, I was a big comic book fan. I loved... Uh, okay, so that's the start of some geek credential you might absolutely. be Absolutely. Yes, very much mm-hmm. so. Just got back from Comic-Con, actually, which mm-hmm. was a delight. Did you have the rare childhood where you go off to
2: college and your parents did not throw away your comics?
3: They kept them. They kept yeah. them? Yeah, yeah my I parents thought. are just very loving parents. Or your house was big enough. <laughs> it was big enough, yeah. When you live in New Hampshire, you can have the space. But I also think they want the house to be a museum of their children. So.
2: Rather than quickly putting the jacuzzi in your
3: bedroom. They had a great moment. This is years ago now, like, I guess it would be 98 during the Maguire-Sosa home run chase. My oh, yeah, parents had that. this moment of thinking, wait, Seth has all these baseball cards. So they went through my baseball card collection and they found all these Maguire... And, you know, the idea had always been, like, these will pay for... You know, this was- <laughs> and then realizing that, that, you know, everything was worth a dollar, a dollar twenty-five. And at that point, they asked if they could throw away my baseball cards because they knew <laughs> they were worthless. But at least comic books still have stories. You can't throw them. Right. Away. So at the time, did you want to be the heroes or do you want to write them? Did I wanted, wanted to be a card that was one of the first things oh. I wanted to be. Early. I remember, Yes. Pre college. Uh, Pre college, yeah. So I you used have to you have art you can draw. A little bit. I feel like I'm very good at knowing when my skill level has peaked mm-hmm. and when other people have started passing me by. I was a very good artist. Not many people are aware of this. No, self awareness y- is the greatest gift. Oh my gosh, that's gift. everything. <laughs> it is the greatest gift. You know, I eventually later in life had it on SNL when I realized. I'm not as good of an actor as the other people I'm surrounded by. I need mm-hmm. to find a job where I just get to say, hi, I'm Seth Myers, as opposed to, hello, I'm this character. So that explains it. That explains it. <laughs> you know, i got to wait till Weekend Update to see Seth Myers. There are certain people, when they put on wigs, it's transformative. Fred Armisen is a perfect example. Mm-hmm. Fred can pay hundreds of different kinds of people. I put on a wig, I look like a guy in a wig. <laughs> I look like a guy who walked into a cheap wig store and put on a wig. No one loses their awareness. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I had a cartoonist teacher once a week, after school and my mom would drive me to this guy who was a professional Loving parents artist. once again Loving parents once. Most again. kids are dragged to piano lessons and you get a cartoonist teacher I got a cartoonist teacher and we would go and draw and it was really fun and I liked it a great deal but then I just eventually realized oh I'm, I'm not that good at it So, mm-hmm. but that was a thing I, I wanted to do at a really young age but
2: That's the great filtering that should go on in everyone's life yes right you do it, oh, no, I'm not good it but i like it still mm-hmm. but i'm not good at it. let me still f- keep finding other things yeah but don't sure. tell me you didn't want to be one of the superheroes that's a
3: guy oh, i did it's a guy thing right i did i don't have a tattoo but had i gotten one i thought about this a lot when i was in high school i would have gotten the flash logo the flash really? the, 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 lightning, the bolt. lightning bolt. yeah, yeah. Okay. that was the one i always wanted okay did you know that flash has atmospheric
2: separators in front of him so the he doesn't burn up going through the atmosphere.
3: That's great. I will say I love The Flash so much, because I remember at a very young age, my dad told me the thing about how he keeps his costume in his ring, which I just thought was the greatest thing, that you could pop out. That I didn't know. Yeah, so he pops it out there and just gets into it really fast. That's because he carries it with him. Yes, so he's got like sort of a... a, a, And that was another thing I wanted when I was Mm -hmm. young, I a Flash ring. Okay. (laughs) But the problem with Flash comics is he constantly, more than any other hero, has to be having thought bubbles explaining what he's doing because he's moving so fast, he can never be in conversation. With anybody. Right. You know, there's a new Flash show, I think on CW, coming out this year. And it looks good, I saw Mm -hmm, the trailer, mm -hmm. but that is the problem they have to figure out. There's never any banter with the Flash.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they don't know that yet. It's like when they did Waterworld. Yeah. Do you realize you're on water the whole movie? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Do people really think this through? (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so you did comics and that the birth of geek
3: credentials. Yeah. Were there any teachers that had singular influence on you? The teachers that influenced me the most were always sort of English teachers. I had a lot of great teachers who embraced the idea of reading, and reading books that weren't the assigned books, but just the idea of, of how important that was. You
2: have awesome sentence composition I want to oh, that's
3: add w- to this. That's great. I think that I've learned just from having a talk show. You really have to learn <laughs> sentence composition.
2: <laughs> no, the sentences
3: that can be interestingly embedded in themselves
2: with humor and insight and entertainment value
3: the biggest problem i had in high school was i always tested really well Mm -hmm. but i wasn't a great student Mm -hmm. and science was something where i was very frustrated by it at a very young age to the point where you didn't like it
2: as a field, or you just said, no, I'm just not good at it in school, but do well, like- there people have that experience and then they hate science the whole rest of their life?
3: I still really love math, mm-hmm. because math was, I felt like I could hear the clicking of right answers, where in science I always felt like it was a puzzle I couldn't quite finish.
2: Oh, very insightful. Yeah. You know why in science, on the frontier, you don't know where you're walking, what you mm-hmm. might step in. You have no idea. Yeah. And so you're just groping in the dark until maybe there's a light that appears. Whereas math, you're right, you can still grope in the dark on the frontier of math, but math as an enterprise, yeah, they're clicking gears there, oh, for
3: sure. And I like answers, (laughs) I want answers. (laughs) If I'm gonna do homework, I want answers. You want answers, I
2: want the truth. So you went to Northwestern? I did. Very cool, but there's no comedy major there, right? So you- No,
3: I had a radio TV film major. I worked in a video store in high school. That was all my sort of film What's education. What's video store? Um, yeah, it's a thing back in the day. You used, to take, day. You used to take your wagon there. <laughs> <laughs> and then if you got past the Indians, you'd rent if something was out. It's so amazing back in the day. Well, I remember just new releases at the video store. They just, you would go for weeks and it would just be out. Yeah, yeah. The movie you wanted would be, you'd have to drive to a video store, (laughs) it'd be out, and then you'd just drive home without a movie. But I went to film school, and the thing that pushed me away from the production side of film is just how scientific filmmaking is. You know, writing, you can sort of always do it at your own pace. You can always do it in your own space. There's sort of no rules when you're writing. I mean, ultimately, as you get more professional, you find rules and whatnot. Plus, all the parts are in front of you. There's a dictionary, yes. there's your mind, yes. there's the paper. There's a blank page. Yeah, you can. yeah. Yeah. Whereas lighting is lighting. You can't decide, <laughs> oh, I'll light it later. You have to light it now. And, yeah. and light I, it in a particular way. And, and right so right. I just discovered how much patience and knowledge you needed to be a filmmaker, whereas I sort of thought, oh, maybe I'll try to focus on writing more and Mm -hmm. then let smarter people than myself. So that was allowed in that major, yeah? Yeah, Mm -hmm. there was a sort of sub-major for writing, and I found my way to that.
2: Welcome back to Star Talk Radio, I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. In this show, we're featuring my interview with Seth Meyers. In this next clip, Seth and I talk about what first brought him to comedy, and how that led to his 12-year run on Saturday Night Live.
3: We actually had superlatives in our high school yearbook. There was a class clown, there was another one called Best Sense of Humor. I got Best Sense of Humor, uh... someone else got class clown. And I realized the difference is the class clown would stand up in the front of the class and just clown around for everyone to laugh and, at. And disrupt
4: everything. Yeah.
3: The best sense of humor sits in the back of the class and sort of says something snidely about the class clown. So yeah. they split the category. They split it up, It's yeah. like splitting best director, best picture. Exactly, very <laughs> much. It was a very progressive high school to think that we needed to reward the two different kinds of humor. And then my freshman year at Northwestern, I saw the improv troupe performed at New Student Week. The improv troupe at Northwestern is called Meow. It's very famous. And I instantly knew that's what I wanted to do more than everything. But I I auditioned for it three times without getting in. Like, you need that story, otherwise. Yes. You, know, you have people who said you're not going to make it. Absolutely. Right, right. The Jordan. Yeah. You <laughs> need the Michael Jordan. You didn't make the high school basketball team. Yeah. Right, right. But I got in my senior year and, and I started going up to Chicago to study improv, like take classes now. Yeah, there. okay. And mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. so embrace that my senior year. Quite the legacy of the city. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I was lucky that my mother was a theater major. My father was an engineering major at Northwestern. They both went to Northwestern. So Dude, you, you were academic brat? Pretty much. Yeah. You had free tuition? No. I definitely did not have free tuition, as I was often reminded oh. <laughs> yeah, by my father. <laughs> but, I mean, I had free enough, and then my parents paid for it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, SNL. I read,
2: holy cow, you debuted the first live show after September 11th.
3: Yeah. Holy it was cow. crazy.
2: That, I, so if I remember, that was opened by Giuliani? Giuliani
3: and Paul Simon. Oh, and that was important, you know. You need the genetic right to the city and to the show. Of the many things that Lauren is great at, Lauren Michaels, yeah. Lauren Michaels. One of the things he's best at is whenever the show has to be important, which Lauren is loath for the show to be important. He always wants to remind you we're an entertainment show. Our job is to make people laugh. When people try to get too self-important in their writing, he always tells you to back off. But he mm-hmm. does know there are moments where the show has to play this role of importance. By the way, like I moved to New York August twentieth. It's crazy enough that I'm moving here just to be on SNL and living my dream. 9 11 happens. You know, we don't even know if we're going to do the show. There's all this talk about it. And your first time you're on SNL, it's crazy enough just if it's your first time with all this other stuff on top of it. Um, I will say no one remembers it as my first show. That is not <laughs> the, the, the history. No one's <laughs> <is there. laughs> like, oh, you know what I remember that night? That kid. Who had one line, yeah. But. Yeah, Giuliani was on stage with Lauren. They threw to Paul Simon, who played the boxer, and then they came back and it was filled with first responders on stage. And uh, Yeah, Simon uh, and everything, yeah. And mm-hmm. this seems, if it was in a movie, you would think it was a little too on the nose, but I was getting ready for my last SNL, my 12 and a half years on the show, which is a very long time. And it was this Saturday morning and I was getting ready to leave my apartment and my wife had the radio on. And Paul Simon's The Boxer played. Um, and uh, I, like, just started shaking. I was uh, like, I can't believe This is a perfect bookend of my run there. Also a title of albums. Uh, oh, yes, The exactly. Yeah, they're there
2: go. keep I'm tying it together. <laughs> <laughs> I got the Paul Simon thing. Thank you. Simon I'm Agar glad you got it.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I have a bit of trivia for them, for you. Okay. Okay? Yeah. There is a lyric in one of their songs, uh, April She Will. Okay. Okay? You might not remember the song. If you heard it, it, you'll get it. But starting with April, he analogizes the name of the month, of each month, with his sequence of girlfriends. Oh, wow. Okay, April, she will, she... You start out happy, but then makes you sad when it rains or something. All right? And May, she'll... Okay, April, May, June. Let's go through. There is a lyric in that song that is a pre-global warming lyric. Really? Yes. You ready? Yeah. Okay. The autumn winds... Blow chilly and cold. September, I'll remember. Wow! It's like no. <laughs> no one is thinking September is autumn winds blowing chilly and cold. Yeah. That is a long gone concept, and that lyric could not have been written today. Yeah. That's how
3: just a little bit of. There you go. Pre-global warming. That's the you know that's really one of the worst things about global warming is how it's dating songs. <laughs> I think people are really upset.
2: So, not to get sentimental, but were you sad to leave
3: SNL to get your next job? Or? I was really sad. And that was one of the reasons why I came back and did the first half of this last season was I wasn't emotionally ready to leave. With that said, mm-hmm. couldn't have had a better situation moving all of, you know, nine floors as far as offices go and working on the same floor. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Just 30 Rock. Yeah, I'm yeah, still at yeah. 30 Rock. Yeah, yeah. Th- and the great thing was the part of SNL that I was so worried you I was going to say. It. You didn't have to move to L.A. Say it. Oh. I did not have to to L.A. (laughs) That was a real prerequisite (laughs) of this job. I did not. I can't. You know, my brother loves L.A. so much. My wife (laughs) loves L.A., and it's just not for me. I, I'm convinced that there'd be no such thing as stand-up comics if there were in an L.A.
2: and New York to compare with one another.
3: Absolutely. It's like the starter kit. <laughs> Airplanes <laughs> and two cities on the coast. If you can't oh, get airports. past that. Airports. Airports, yeah, 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 yes. Yeah, security at airports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, your, that's the starter kit? the basic. That's the starter kit. If you can't make somebody <laughs> laugh talking about the differences between L.A. and New York, get out of the business. Get out. But... Yeah, so it's been great, but it's nice. You know, the thing I was worried about missing was working with the writing staff, and of course the upside of my new show is I have a writing staff there, and, mm-hmm. and so you just find a new family. So you became head writer at SNL. How much of a show does a head writer write? Some weeks you write a lot of it just because you have a hot week, but yeah. you're just competing with all the other writers. Where the head writer job sort of starts... Competing please. in a happy way, you just want yeah, the best stuff absolutely. to come out. Yeah. You're writing, and you know some weeks you'll write uh, two or three things, and if you have a hot week, maybe all of them go to dress rehearsal. <laughs> um, but head writer is definitely does not mean best writer. Head writer sort of means on... Uh, Wednesday after you read everything that everybody's written there's sort of holes in the show oftentimes a hole okay. will be a monologue or the hole will be we don't have anything political to open the show and the job as head writer is to facilitate and to just make sure those things get done and the other thing is after we do that so read, it's a leadership role it's just yeah, a leadership yeah, yeah, role bro. yeah you're mm-hmm. bridging the gap between Lauren Michaels and the writing staff and is it true you wrote most of the Sarah Palin bits? I did. That is hilarious. I did. I was really lucky. <laughs> I mean, when you write anything for someone like Tina Fey, the amount she adds to it, like on the floor, she comes mm-hmm. up with better jokes than the ones you have. And the 2008 elections was such an exciting time to work on the show. The mm-hmm. entire writing staff was chipping in. And, and But those were fun to write.
2: So we, we heard rumored that the Sarah Palin bits mm-hmm. were just pulled out a whole cloth. That you can actually go to
3: her speeches and,
2: and comments she's made. Is that pure comedy unto itself
3: well there were i think we did six sketches with her and the second one was right after she did that famous katie kirk interview and we had sort of written a script with jokes and whatnot and i remember tina on that week that one specifically said i think we should just transcribe it and just do it exactly what she said. So there was a huge chunk of that sketch that was just transcription. And I think in the best way of when you're sort of writing any sort of political writing, and I feel like this is something that Colbert and The Daily Show and and John Oliver now do really well, is they sort of use the subject's momentum against them. It's like judo as opposed to karate. And I think when you do that, it seems very fair, and I think it makes the point better than when you do something that could be perceived as sort of an ad hominem attack on someone.
2: I I'd never thought about it, but that's exactly what's going on there. And it, yeah. like you said, especially The Daily Show will get clips, and you'll play the clip. Yeah. And there it is. And then you think the clip is out of context, and then they play more of that same clip. Right. And no, you had it right what that main meaning was.
3: You know, if you go back 10, 15 years, you are watching someone say, like, this person's an idiot, and without sort of that proof, I think people then think it's just the political position of the person who's saying that. So. Sarah Palin was really fun, although it went the other way as well because I remember one of the things we wrote and one of the last ones was her turning to another camera and saying, I'm going rogue. And then that was the title of her book. So Uh, uh, we borrowed from each other.
2: So do you have a moral, cultural responsibility?
3: I really think your first responsibility when you're doing this is remembering that you're entertainers. On Saturday, we're talking about, you know, 1130 at night. Even more now when you're doing weeknight shows at 1230. You have to remember, like, what are people tuning in for? What is your responsibility? And we want to have a show that's both smart and silly. And, but number and, one, I want to laugh, I guess. Yeah, I want to make people laugh. Like, that's what I'm there for. But as far as any time I feel like you can call out people in power, the, those elected officials who have this responsibility to us, Anytime you can sort of call them out for not fulfilling that responsibility, there's a... That's a fun the, thing to do. It's fun and good and could have a purpose.
2: Yes. Could achieve a goal.
3: Yes, mm-hmm. but in a really good way, Lauren Michaels constantly reminds us, you know, this is your entertainers. Achieve Don't... your goals in your own time. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let it get too much to your head. Yes, yeah. Otherwise, exactly. you'll take yourself to- Oh, right. absolutely. You can't do You'll comedy. overrate your own power. Yes, yes. I, you absolutely will overrate it. Because I do feel like sometimes the chemistry of when you're influencing people and when by trying to influence them, you're pushing them the other way, like that, we'll never really know.
1: pxg.com/slash/starttalk code starttalk.
2: Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. We've been featuring my interview with Seth Meyers, and in this next clip, we talk about his new job hosting Late Night with Seth Meyers on NBC. So I've been a guest on You've your been show. a guest.
3: You were great. You played along. You talked to Pluto. I, I talked. To, you brought Pluto in. Oh, my gosh. It was gosh. great.
2: That was a great bit. And I got to tell you my three favorite, your Venn diagrams. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. And every time I see a Venn diagram of any kind, I say, that is so brilliant and so simple. Yes. Yet somebody had to invent it. Mm-hmm. Some dude named Venn. You yeah. know? I
3: mean, just. Right.
2: <laughs> I want in my life to invent something that simple. Yeah. And I don't know what that takes.
3: That is the definition we were talking about math earlier of the sound of a click. Mm-hmm. Also, I've always found, and I don't know if you've found this as well, but a lot of my best ideas happen immediately. This is the way I've always felt they about sketch opinion, yeah. Uh, yeah, a thing I've always said to writers, too, is good comedy ideas should write easy. They should write downhill. Whereas if you have an excellent, idea excellent, and you've been working cool. on it for 8, 10 hours, it might not be a good idea. Mm-hmm. Because there's something about... Comedy that if the audience can tell if it's tortured writing, if it's over constructed. If... That's the word over constructed. Yes. Overbuilt. And Venn diagrams is a perfect example of. I bet one day he thought of it so fast. <laughs> And
2: any scientist is a math person, you have the, the weekend numbers. Yes. That, that is that going strong?
3: That's going strong too, still that, in the rotation. In the <laughs> rotation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you... Has not been subbed out? For no, well, you have to generate so many of these desk pieces. Uh, the top 10 list on David Letterman is the Venn diagrams of late night desk pieces. Mm-hmm. The fact that they've been doing it every night for all these years. And there are people who tune in just for that. Just for that. So you try to come up with something that eventually we want to say, and now it's time for Venn diagrams and have everybody applaud with excitement, knowing, oh, I like Venn diagrams. Right, right. And I say, like the weekend numbers, I don't think there's enough
2: quantization of life. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't have too much of it, but we need more than what we do have. People right. think that life is just something that, oh, that feels good or is this or is that. But actually, yeah. you can measure that. Yes. you can count that. You can know how big that is. Well,
3: I am a sports fan, and I think one of the things I liked most about sports, even as a kid, is all the statistics of sports. And now there's been this explosion in recent years of even deeper statistics, specifically in baseball. Because baseball, even... you have the time to talk about it between pitches. Exactly. That's so right. much time. The reality is I watch less baseball than I read about it later, and mm-hmm. I agree. I think there's something very nice and very comforting about being able to quantify.
2: Things. I have a whole category of sports tweets yes. that I put out, and some of them are baseball. And so here's one. Okay, I think if you get hit by a pitch on ball four, you should go to second base.
3: That's great. How's that?
2: Absolutely, because there has to be a punishment. Yeah, you hit by pitch, you get first base. Ball four, you get first base. Mm -hmm. You get hit by pitch on ball four, you go to second base.
3: Great, I sign off.
2: Okay, now in basketball. Yes. If you have a three-point line, because you're rewarded for being far away, I think a slam dunk should be one point.
3: Okay, I like that too that I'm not going to sign off on it. Okay. Because <laughs> we have to remember this is entertainment. Yes, okay. okay. So you don't want to do anything that makes less dunks. You don't want to make dunks less rewarding. Less rewarding or have fewer of them. Yes, right. exactly. Okay, all right, we'll give you that. But I'm fully on the ball for it there.
2: <laughs> And I'm a big fan of back in my day. I think about that all the time. Yes. When I give talks, I try to fold in something that pokes fun at recent past. Yeah, you know, and I have kids. You have kids?
3: Uh, no, just married. Joke. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay.
2: <laughs> Do you have kids? know just my wife. I don't yeah, know what yeah, that yeah. means. Is that right, a joke right. or is
3: it? Right? I'm just saying that, like, she wants them so much that it's only because we're just married that I don't have them yet.
2: Oh, gotcha. So the kids, you, you get to be in the mind of someone who takes everything for granted that right. you saw discovered. Yes. Right. There's a whole other realm of material waiting for you to tap. Yeah. When that happens, I just want to tell you so can you imagine anything such as a science of comedy or mathematics of comedy is there
3: yeah i think could could it be so formulaic that it's no longer funny well there's this really good book called i want to say i'm I'm dying up here and it was about the comedy store in la and the it's a great title uh, yes and it's a a sort of i want to say the late 70s but it's leno and letterman and Mm -hmm. one of the comedians in the books he believed he'd figured out the science of comedy And of course he had. Like anyone who thinks they've Mm -hmm. gotten it down to ones and zeros has lost what makes comedy great. With that said, the other head writer job is, you know, when you rewrite sketches, just by trial and error, you can sort of say, hey, as somebody who's seen 500 sketches, I will just tell you that they will... So you're invoking a life experience force rather than a mathematical force. Yes, but I do think there's a little Mm -hmm. bit of, you know, as with experimentation and finding results and sort of tracking them, you know, but they're not absolute rules. So
2: your life experience gives you insight as to whether somebody's idea, somebody's skit, somebody's joke Mm -hmm. might fail. And let's assume you're right most of the time. Is there anything that's fixable about it or you just pour it out and start a new glass.
3: No, you can fix it. You know, an example of something I've sort of learned at SNL, which I think is different, because this can work in other comedy shows and and people pull it off with great aplomb, but at SNL I always found, like, when people are playing characters, if the character knows they're a loser, it's less fun. Whereas if the character is just loving their life, a good example for me is Kristen Wiig's Target Lady. Mm -hmm. Had no idea she was a weirdo. She was so happy with who she was. The audience knew she was a weirdo. Whereas, I think if you have the character be sad about who they are, the audience will also feel sad. Okay. Especially with live television and that live studio audience, the audience has empathy for the characters. So you try very hard to make sure that they are sort of upbeat.
2: Back to Talk Radio, I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. Seth Meyers was the keynote speaker at the always entertaining White House Correspondents Association
3: Dinner in 2011. Let's
2: hear what he had to say about
3: that experience. When I stood at the podium, you realize that the podium is sized for the president, and the president is taller than I am, and I felt like a little kid. Mm. And there's a thing you can pull out, like sort of a three-inch step. So if you watch it I actually look a little taller than the president um, because he spoke and then he came and somebody pulled my thing out and I stood and... So this is the speaker's version of a phone book. That Absolutely. You... <laughs> full phone book. Yes. At least I didn't have to walk up with a phone book and then everybody saw me said it. For down.
2: younger listeners, a phone
3: book is how you used to get <laughs> back in the day. Back in the day. Back in the day. <laughs> and let me say it used to be the president went second at the White House correspondents dinner. Obama flipped it so Obama gets to open. He's the president of the United he's States. He's the opening act. He murders. He murders because now he's the president, and you have to follow the president. He had great timing in there. He has a oh my stand-up's gosh. timing. Yeah, a stand-up's timing. Oh yeah. Making matters worse, he doesn't end with a joke. He ends with a spare thought for the troops. Like he brings the room all the way down. He ices the room, and then you, ladies and gentlemen, Seth Myers. He's just killer. Killer. But he's great. He Was been, it your
2: year when he said, uh, There's all this talk about my birth certificate? Mm-hmm. But we did some research and we produced something better than that. We have my birth video
3: The Lion King. The Lion King. Yeah, it, <laughs> it was great. And again, I'm sitting there thinking, Why do I have to follow? Because again, he's also the president. Yeah, you know, did. like if you're good and he's good, the tiebreaker is who's the president. <laughs> And the crazy thing about the year I did it was the next day he announced SEAL Team Six had killed Bin Laden. I spent three weeks leading up to that. All I did was think about that performance. (laughs) I really used 100% of my brain. I went full Lucy. Full Lucy. I used all 100%. And I couldn't make dinner plans. And here he is, outstanding, working on the Bin Laden thing. Yeah,
2: and perfect timing. So, some comedy is just fun and entertaining. But other comedy is politically barbed. Sure. Right. You've led that parade here.
3: Oh yeah, I don't know if I've led it, but I think it's been a good era of people who've been doing it.
2: Does it influence politics?
3: Or, I don't or does know. it reflect it and it's is it just the scenery along the way to where it's going inevitably? Well, I think to some degree. You know, everyone sort of said after the 2008 election that A lot of the comedy shows had a big influence on it. That was claimed, huh? Yeah. That was claimed. But then, of course, in 2004, I think those comedy shows were sort of making the same points and didn't have the same influence. So, you know, we'll see as time goes forward. I think, to some degree, when you look at 2008, I think a lot of comedians, SNL included, were pointing out the shortcomings of a candidate like Sarah Palin. But the reality is, I do think most Americans would have come to that conclusion. On their own time
2: Or yeah. it would not have mattered to them And they'd still vote for her
3: Right, right. I, mean, I mean, that's Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. who the fence people were That right. in the end were thanks Why are there more liberal comedians Than
2: conservative comedians? Is it just
3: an illusion that I have? I think it's No, it's, I think you're right uh-huh. I think the best comedy Comes from going after the favorite As opposed to going after the underdog mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of conservative politics They seem to be piling on the underdog I don't know, it's less fun for me, for people who aren't going after sort of the head of the dragon. I got you. And I can think a lot of conservatives right now would say that the comedians don't go after Obama enough. Mm-hmm. But I think there is a, a lot of examples of that, of comedians who do. But also, you know, liberal comedians aren't going to go after Obama for not being conservative enough. They're going to go after him for not being liberal enough. You know, mm-hmm. my disappointment with... President Obama has
2: been that he's more conservative than I thought he would be. Not because he wears high-waisted jeans.
3: Look, that's great. When he does something like that, when he gives us a little nibble, a little something we can make a joke about.
2: <laughs> so, you're doing the Emmys this year? Yes. I'm not going to see you this year.
3: No, you're not going? No, because
2: Cosmos yes. was nominated for 12 days. It's in the documentary
3: category. Gotcha. And your night.
2: You don't announce the documentary? I don't.
3: Writers at SNL I've heard refer to the Creative Arts Emmys as the Ponytail Emmys because there are so many sound engineers. and There's a lot of guys with ponytails at the Creative (laughs) Arts Emmys. The Creative Arts Emmys, though, have a very special place in my heart because the only time I won an Emmy was for writing song lyrics, and that was at the Creative Arts Emmys. Okay. It feels a little bit less than the Emmys, I'm not going to (laughs) lie, than the 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 regular Emmys, unless you win. Because the Emmy's the same. Mm-hmm. And when you're holding that Emmy, you don't care which Emmys it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you're holding an Emmy, everything is outstanding. Boarding an airplane with an Emmy, yeah. everybody's okay. really excited to see it. Uh-huh. If you've been waiting your whole life to see a TSA person smile, <laughs> win an Emmy, take it in the
2: airport. Okay, my one encounter with a TSA person with a completely odd thing. I brought a meteorite, a very heavy, dense meteorite, mm-hmm. through security, and this is an opaque right object in the x-ray right and they say "Uh, what is in there and I kept thinking how am I gonna play this oh it's just a meteorite (laughs) I just had to be really just cool you know don't you get these all the time and so I showed it to them and they all gathered around and touched it and so it was good
1: or the personality. There's one site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids can use it at home on the computer or on the go through the app on your phone or your tablet. No more grading those worksheets. iXL grades everything itself, and no more trying to figure out how to explain math equations or grammar rules yourself. iXL has built-in explanation videos. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with iXL. iXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning at ixl now and star talk radio listeners can get an exclusive 20 percent off ixl membership when they sign up today at ixl.com star visit ixl.com star to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good
2: thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, races you did
4: it you stumped this charming devil this is a big year the ohio lottery's golden anniversary 50 years of excitement of growing jackpots and crossed fingers 50 years of funding for schools of changed lives and brightened days 50 years
3: of fun and that is worth celebrating so watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its
4: biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.
2: We're back on Star Talk Radio. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. In this final part of my interview with Seth Meyers, we talk about his animated series, The Awesomes, which is streamed on Hulu.
3: My producer at Late Night, Mike Shoemaker, and I, who used to be a producer at SNL, we had this idea for a superhero show back in like 2006, and it kicked around forever. It was in development at Sci-Fi, MTV. You know, <laughs> <laughs> wrong guy.
2: That's a quantifier.
3: Wrong, wrong guy to use the hyperbole with.
2: But yeah, forever. I got forever. All yeah, right. All right.
3: but kulu has been a great place for it, and, you know, the animation world is such a different world because you do have to sort of lock your idea in months before you see the finished product, whereas everything else I've ever done you could change it an hour earlier. Absolutely. You can change it on the fly. Mm-hmm. And we work with a great, Bento Box is this great animation company, and they're very patient with us. But every now and then somebody has to call us and say, this cannot happen. Bento Box, in this I brand. guess they're in Japan. They're not yeah. actually, they're in <laughs> LA. <laughs> yeah. Faux Japan. Absolutely. Okay.
2: <laughs> so you have a superpower. Yeah. You can stop time. Yes. For 10 seconds.
3: Yes. But it kills me. It slowly it kills me. So they, I have to be very limited. it kills you. So. you no, know, stopping the time puts so much pressure on my brain. The power. How much does it kill you? you uh, starts to have nosebleeds. And I've been told by my doctor on the show to be very careful about using it. Because they don't quite know. They haven't been able to scientifically test it. It's too much stress on you. Too much stress. Wow. And using the stopping time on the show, which is based on me personally, I'm an overthinker. So, I need to live in a world where I can't procrastinate, which I live in now with Late Night, which I lived in with SNL. If given extra time, i just spin out and overthink. So, every time this character, Proc, stops time, that you think he's this is, is that your nickname? Yes, that's the character on the yes, show. Yeah, Doctor. Proc I mean? is a shortening of Professor Doctor. So you, feel free to use that.
2: Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh well, no, I'm not into titles. Gotcha. If a title implies that you should believe me because of my title, rather right. than for how good of an argument I offered you.
0: Oh,
3: well, was very good, yeah. yeah I mean, funny. I don't really use a title, too. One of my favorite things is when I meet somebody every now and then, they ask if I have a business card. <laughs> 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 so, like, I'm a late night. Why would I have a business card? <laughs> so it hasn't, It what's the first? Season one was last year. Well, I missed and, it, I'm sorry. Oh, no worries, no worries. This. And then um, August 4th was the premiere of season two. Okay. Well, yeah. it's right there. So, Yes, yeah, it's right in Hulu and hopefully right. we're helping people go back and watch. It's also, you know, because we came from comic books, we tried to do an animated show where it does tell one story and you do have to watch the previous episode to be able to follow the plot. So, this is your excuse for showing up at Comic-Con. Yes, that was why I went. I got to do a Because They've been cutting down on the
2: rules. There've been some shows. Oh my and so, God. Oh, look, there's a great audience. Let's just go. They know you don't have any comics
3: and you don't have any super anything and you no. so you don't belong. There's so many shows that don't belong Comic-Con. Yes, completely. Oh my gosh. I mean, the good news is it doesn't seem like the populace is that upset about it, but when you have a real show, the Shmi Comic-Con, you do get a little upset <laughs> with your hall placement. Yeah, we uh, Cosmos
2: was featured at Comic-Con because we had animations yeah. within each episode. Cosmos
3: and, fits into Comic-Con. Whether you had animation or not, that fits. <laughs> okay. yeah. Well, they yeah, had my peeps. I mean, there's a yeah, whole, there the whole geekosphere. is Yes.
2: And you were in a couple of movies.
3: No, just
2: I think literally
3: <laughs> a, couple. a couple. two couple. Two movies. A couple movies. equals
2: two yeah forgive me i've seen these movies you were in but i don't remember you okay great is that a good thing or a bad thing
3: i think it's a good Did you thing. blend in with it's a good were you thing. such a good actor you no. <laughs> i think i have a few lines it's a very good thing that i have my own talk show and don't have to be movies anymore <laughs> <laughs> my most sciency movie journey to the center of the earth the jules verne story yeah uh, journey to the center of the earth and i had two scenes I was a scientist. You were a scientist? I was Dean Alan Kitsons was my name, and I have a, a trading card, which is hilarious because they did 3D trading cards, but I'm in no action scenes, so my trading card is just a headshot. So, so,
2: so wait a minute. So in your animated yeah. life, you were a professor. Yes.
3: And in Journey to the Center of the Earth, you were academic yes, professor. Yes, exactly. so there, co- there is something there. This is something there. Yeah. yeah uh-huh. But I had two scenes. The first scene was right in the beginning of the movie, and I basically said to, para- I'm paraphrasing here, but I said to Brendan Fraser, you can't go to the center of the earth. And then I had a scene at the end of the movie, where I basically said, Whoa, huh? <laughs> so that was <laughs> those are my two scenes. <laughs> Both,
2: Wait, do you uh, Let me hear. They know. Whoa! Huh?
3: <laughs> you were what? You were where? <laughs> Fully the center.
2: Now, actually, I'm disappointed that that's the best they scripted for you, in response to someone going
3: to the center of the earth. I know, I know.
2: Just a, gut- a guttural utterance. Yeah,
3: <laughs> that was about it. But I will say it was 3D, and it was using a new 3D technology at the time. And the first scene, the director said, if there's anything you can think of to do, you know, just because it's 3D. And so the first thing, I did, because basically I was measuring Brendan Fraser's office because he was about to lose his job. In the end, he didn't because of the center of the earth thing. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. But the first the, the three... kind of thing to give you tenure, you yeah. know, a job, yeah. <laughs> the first 3D moment in the film is me turning the uh, tape measure to camera and then snapping it back. Okay, it back okay. Uh, all right. There's right. got to be something. Yeah, <laughs> something that people don't do in real life.
2: And then we read up on this that in Korea, the movie was in 4D. Was it really? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yes, so they put in other effects... Wow! Sound, smells, water spray, and so your other senses are now it, we're engaging it. So they wow. and then just so you know, they
3: did a sequel, a few like like five years later with The Rock.
2: You mean Dwayne Johnson? Dwayne, Dwayne the Rock
3: Johnson. And I um I instantly texted the director who I hadn't spoken to for five years, and then I just wrote, "I am so excited we're doing another one. This is so great. I can't I can't wait to see you." <laughs> they did not pick up my sarcasm. Because he texts back, oh, I don't know if your character is going to be back in the second one.
2: <laughs> You've been listening to Star Talk Radio. We're brought to you in part by a grant from the Sloan Foundation. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, as always, compelling you to keep looking up.